Welcome to the Watchers of the Skies program. I'm Carlos Campo coming to you from AUTV20 here at Ashland University and Theological Seminary. And who's this to my right? Dennis Montecruces. Dennis, welcome. How are you? I'm enthusiastic. And I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm just some random guy wearing an Irish hat. Why am I doing that? <laughs> You're doing that, and I'm wearing this lovely green sort of ish tie because it's St. Patty's Day, of course. It's St. Patty's Day. We're going to have some green beer later in the day, but not on campus because no. we are a moist campus. Moist? Yes, yeah, so we're dry if you're underage, but oh. if you are of age and in certain apartments here at Ashland University, you could, with these students, perhaps imbibe if they are adults. Running the show is Michaela. We've got Will on camera there, Rodney, uh, Nick, and Aiden on camera with us. You know, Nick's graduating in seven, seven weeks. Congratulations. Yeah, we heard him shout out in excitement. He's going to be a graduate student, I'm sure, very soon and visiting us on campus. But it's not just St. Patrick's Day that has us energized today. You know, the entire world is looking to Ashland because we, in the midst of March Madness, have the only undefeated team that's, truly in the United States. That's true. No, it's amazing. So undefeated, and here we are. We're in the regionals. and um, We are. Midwest champs. We're headed to St. Joe's, Missouri. And matter of fact, I, I did hear some of the staff was going from uh, the journalism crew. Oh, but I do have to correct you. South Carolina. Yes. In What's Division that? One, they're also undefeated. <sighs> they don't really count. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. They have not yet lost. But uh, you're right. The women have won the Midwest. They're undefeated in Division Two. Only one in Division Two. Yes. Uh, so well, that's the good amendation. And they're looking to win three more games, and then they'll be national champions. So it's one of the many reasons why we're energized today. But you know why we're also excited, Dennis? We are one of those campuses that will not capitulate to either side. So we feel that there are people looking to constrain free speech. And we feel that if you're truly going to have an open intellectual discussion, you've got to hear from both sides. Even if it's someone who is doing harm, we're going to talk about that in a later episode. You know, there's a a, a judge who came to speak in Stanford, he was recently shouted down. We're going to talk about that. But, you know, what we're focusing on is a school with an extraordinary tradition. That's Wellesley College. You know, Wellesley's been around for 150 years, one of the premier women's colleges right. in the world. Wellesley has the largest endowment of any women's college in the world at $3.22 billion. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's, a, that's a few dollars. You know, they had almost 8,000 young women apply and now I'm getting to something we're going to talk about. 8,000 applications. They took in about 600. Their average, their 50% median ACT score, you want to guess it? Um, 29. 33. Wow. I know. Incredible liberal arts school, considered a top five school. But, you know, here's where they have had some difficulty. They admit only women. women. But in our contemporary society, the definition for woman has become complicated. You'll right. remember Katanji, mm -hmm. not that long ago, Supreme Court uh, Justice, who potential at that time, Supreme Court Justice, was asked to define, give us a definition of what a woman is. And she said, I cannot. Not a biologist. I'm not a biologist. Right. In this context, I can't give you a definition. Well, Wellesley has to give us a definition. And part of what arose for Wellesley was the students were concerned because Wellesley currently does not admit trans men. And they put a referendum forward, and it's interesting the way their polity works at Wellesley. Students can put forth a referendum that can be voted on that has no consequence, as it were, with the policy of the school. But they want to hear from students, which I think is a great practice. Mm -hmm. And so what was put forward and what was voted on just a, a few days ago at, at Wellesley? Right. So 
one little bit of background further Good. is that the, let's say, kind of traditional understanding of women, well, that's what held for their admissions until, I think, 2015. Mm-hmm. And then right. and in and 2015... expanded to... Right. So they, they included two more categories. So trans women, so biological men who identify, who as, identify a as a woman, mm-hmm. and also to non, non-binary mm-hmm. people. And so non-binary is kind of a complicated category. Um, essentially, it's people who don't say either that they're a man or a woman, but they could, could identify as both, or yes. they could identify as neither. Right. It's just that they're not identifying, and, and they are identifying as some gender, because there's also another category called agender, right. where the person just says, well, I don't experience any kind of gender. Right. Um, so it could be someone who identifies as both, potentially, Correct. who falls into that category. So those... Those two categories were added to the kind of traditional understanding of a woman right, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Right. So then recently the student government had this, this referendum, and it was unanimous that they voted to accept trans men. Uh, in other words, people who were born, who were biologically female. Now, was it unanimous? That's a good point. Cause I, that's, well, I read I, that somewhere. Maybe I'm mistaken, yeah, I, I but think I think I read they, that. I think they felt it was overwhelmingly okay. positive, something along those lines. But they, I think they, what they finally came down to say was they'd never count votes. Okay. They would, would never do that. But it was absolutely overwhelmingly positive. Okay. I think someone said 90%. So okay. ne- nearly okay. unanimous. Yeah, yeah. All right. So by acclamation, let's sure, say. Sure, maybe not, sure. maybe yeah. not unanimous. Right. And, and they voted in favor of, of admitting trans men. In other words, biological females who identify and may or may not have gone through any medical procedures yes. in the direction of becoming more masculine. Correct. So that was what they did. And then the university president, Paula Johnson, I believe. Paula Johnson, yes. The said, 13th, I think, president. Of yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially said, well, sorry. <laughs> we're, uh, Thanks we for your thoughts. We appreciate the input, but we're, uh, we're continuing our current policy of admissions, and we're not going to um, allow trans men to uh, be, sorry. Yeah, trans right. men mm-hmm. to, uh, to apply. Right. So w- what did Paula Johnson say in response beyond no? Because she did say, okay, we hear you and we understand where, where you're coming from. And so we're going to take some further actions. One of the things that she talked about, I know in particular, was they're going to be taking all of the pronouns that students want to be used and uploading those so that they would be available. Now, again, that student doesn't have to declare, but making sure that all faculty and staff are aware of the pronouns. That was one action that she said would be taken. What about some other things that she had indicated? Well, I, I know one of the other things, so I'll answer my own question yeah, there. Is, well, you know, she, she had specifically said some training is going to take place okay. for faculty and staff to be more inclusive in their responses. And I think one of the things that the students were saying, matter of fact, they called her transphobic as a result of this action, feeling that she had uh, violated the, the principles that have held true at Wellesley. I mean, let's think about it. We've got people like Hillary Clinton, you know, right. as one of their alums, you know, really well-known and successful women mm-hmm. who have... Uh, Madeline Albright. Another Madeline Ar- Albright, absolutely right. right. So, you know, the the... The sense from a lot of the students was the students are here. Those students are already on campus. So how, why are we distinguishing between women who come to Wellesley and, and identify fully as women and then you know, become trans men? They're here. They're not kicked off campus. They're not asked to leave. Why would we not just amend the practice? Right. That's a tricky question. I mean, so, I don't, so do they decide to grandfather them in but, uh, or maybe grandmother, I mean, right. however you want to put it. But, um, but yeah, just not allow people who have already transitioned to, to being trans men to... 
Right, it really becomes difficult. I'm thinking about the admissions people and how they're working through these kinds of details. You know, this is pretty personal information they're right. asking. You know, this is the sort of thing at, at Harvard, for example, today, if you were, or one of us were to apply as an undergraduate student at Harvard and identify as, say, African-American, Harvard does not ask questions. They don't, they don't ask about what well, you don't appear to be or ask about genealogies. They simply accept that response. So in the same sort of fashion, could a student identify as a woman to get into Wesleyan no matter, right? right. right. I, I think that's one of the things you get uh, concerned about. I know that, for instance, Brigham Young University offers a, an extraordinary discount for Mormon students, sure. right? The Latter-day Saint, Saint students. Well, their admissions office now has to track down your background to make hmm. sure that you are attending regularly because they, frankly, said we had a lot of people who were fraudulently coming to the institution. Right. And I think, so, yeah, so I think that these are all complicated issues. Right, so they, they've, they've kind of specified that you have to be living consistently as a woman, which I was thinking with the non-binary category that you could have this kind of strange paradox where you have someone who's a, a trans man <clears throat> who's just decided that they identify as, as male, but they, they're biologically female, they present as female, whereas you could have someone who is, let's say, non-binary, and maybe considers the you know considers him herself both male and female and maybe even predominantly male but female enough right. how, how consistent do you have to be in that respect to count and so you know if you think about let's say pushback that often happens this we had, we had a speaker uh, come in Dr. Ryan Anderson and one of the uh, the, the Q&A one, one of the questions that was was kind of brought about or brought up was uh, with with let's say bathrooms Right, so that sure. women typically feel very uncomfortable having men in the bathroom, you know, yes. sharing a bathroom, understandably, or let's say a biological male, even if the person is identifying as female. And um, so you could have someone, in theory, right, who is, presents in a very masculine way, and they're welcome, but someone who's presenting as female and would, would, nece would not necessarily be Just welcome if they're at identifying all. Couldn't even, apply, couldn't even apply to this. Couldn't even apply. And, and I think... Frankly, this will become, it's already an issue on campus, but will become potentially a very significant issue because Wellesley will not be able to, I don't believe, hold with just this definition of living consistently. Because precisely what does that mean to right. live consistently? Because you don't have to consistently identify as a woman because if you're non-binary, of course, these are things that are very fluid. Right. Many, many students feel that their gender identity is fluid. So could a student not have this fluidity and be accepted at, at Wellesley. So, you know, I, I think w what we're seeing, Dennis, is the sort of natural progression that must occur when definitions around things that have been so solid for so long. You talked about Ryan Anderson, Dr. Anderson, who was on our campus this week, and he kind of predicted that this would be the natural outcome, and not just in this arena. He talked about public policy and how this would impact other areas. You know, I don't believe that Wellesley will be able to hold to their tradition of admitting women only in, uh, indefinitely. I think that what we're seeing now is just the first step. Students are already protesting this action. Right. I think they will continue to protest this action. So something I didn't come across, maybe you did, um, has there been any, let's say, faculty uh, statement one way or another, whether they side with the students or with the administration or just no comment? I mean, have you heard anything I one way or another? I have not seen any comment okay. there. I, I think 
that it will not surprise me to see that faculty will align with the students. I think they're very supportive generally of students. Mm -hmm. And I think they would be, be supportive in this fashion as well. You know, it's interesting because here at Ashland, we would not make that distinction. We, we do follow a traditional view of men and women, a man, man and woman, basically based upon our Christian roots and heritage. Right. But in terms of admission standards, we wouldn't have any concern around a student in terms of their identification. But, you know, I think we talked offline, Dennis, a little bit about the same kind of difficulty. If you worked at a school, you know, some schools even in our region that would be overtly Christian would require a a faculty member or a staff member to sign a statement of faith, to, to mm -hmm. live as a right. Christian, that sort of thing. Well, they're finding that same kind of difficulty in what does that exactly look like? How does one perform these things? What's the criteria under which? And so I do think that same standard will have to be accounted for at Wellesley. Well, they'll have to identify these are the criteria. If you're going to live as a woman, you have to be doing these things. And I think hearing from Dr. Anderson, he talked about how difficult this is. What does it mean to, to live as a woman? Right. What does it mean to even feel like you're a woman? What does that feel like? And then how is that expressed? Right. I suspect they might try a different tack yes. to that. So <clears throat> I was thinking, again, along the lines of the non-binary, mm -hmm. <clears throat> sorry, no, <it's> <clears throat> pardon me, um, that they might say instead, well, the default is that if you declare yourself to be a woman in any sense, right, so either you know, just biological and just, you know, the traditional understanding or that you're a trans woman or that maybe you're non-binary and you primarily consider yourself to be, to be a woman. I think they'll probably take that at face value and it's only if you're kind of too mannish uh, that that would be the disqualifying factor. And I think probably most Christian schools would try to do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're declaring yourself to be a genuine believer, you're signing the doctrinal statement, then unless there's some reason to suspect that, you yes. know, things are maybe not as they seem, then that's good enough. And that's probably also a legally safer approach for them to take. At least that would be my, my suspicion. Yeah, that's a good question. This whole idea of, you know, what actions would it take on either part to be outside the, the tribe, as it were, right. right? So, you know, what would a Christian have to do to be you know, DQ'd from, mm -hmm. you know, being identified as such. And this idea of being too male, you're too male to be at Wesley, uh, to be at Wesley College. I think that's uh, sort of a difficult question as well, because if you are free to identify on a daily basis, so at any time you, you can choose your identity and your choice and your feeling trumps right. all objective reality is what Dr. Anderson used. So I think that's where it's really going to be tough, you know, in this bucolic 500-acre set setting that has had a practice and policy for all these years. I believe that this is one of those social changes. And it's interesting because if you look at their founding documents, Wesley was founded. Wellesley. Wellesley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very different, isn't it? Thank that's you. right. <laughs> uh, Wellesley College was founded particularly by, I think the Durants is the name of the, the couple that founded him, was was to be able to pivot and be agile around social change. They hmm. saw that the world was changing even their own time even in their own times and they felt that specifically focusing on women and female leaders was the right step forward for them to be able to adapt to social change. I don't think that they could have imagined right. that this is the yeah. social change that, that Wellesley is now having to deal with. So as my colleague uh, Dr. Johnson, you know, sifts through these difficulties, I think it's really going to be incumbent upon her admissions team. You know, 8,000 applicants, you don't apply to Wellesley unless you're really a fine student, right. top-level student. They have 
tremendous academic tradition there. So I think that's really going to be what this comes down to. They're going to have to work with admissions officers, and you may be right. I would hope that they would be fairly flexible and open, right? So if a student says, listen, I want to come to Wellesley, I believe I meet the criteria, including living as a woman, I, I don't think they're going to uh, hold to a very rigid or strict standard. But because it is so competitive to get into Wellesley, you kind of wonder if they might not suffer from the same issue that, that BYU is now suffering from in terms of trying, you know, trying to sift through if someone is truly what they say they are. Right. Now, that would be interesting. Um, and I mean, it, I mean, I'm not sure how, how tight the connection is, but I mean, I do think of someone like Leah Thomas, the, the Penn swimmer. Sure, sure. Right? So it's, you know, three years of being a mediocre male swimmer and then identifies as female and is just winning everything in sight, right? And so I can understand if there's a, a biological woman who applies and is, is ousted by, by someone who has just changed um, how they identify to, to get in. That's, right. That's tough. Isn't that tough? I think we will see increasing numbers of people who identify as women wanting entrance and then Wellesley having to deal with that. You know, this isn't so different from all men's schools, at least ones that have been all male in the past, that have been challenged in that same fashion and began admitting mm -hmm. women and their, right. their ethos has changed. So I think that will be an interesting <laughs> shift as well. You know, they now have a group for trans men on campus, I think, called Siblings, <clears throat> that help students who have transitioned to feel included and, and recognized and seen on their campus. But I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Wellesley isn't going to have to deal with those same kinds of issues in the future. I think if you look at just the fluidity among, you know, the younger generation today, it is significantly right. higher, like 20, 30x of it. Uh, would have been for our generation. So if that trend continues, it's simply a matter of time that Wellesley is going to have to deal with these issues. Right. And, and I mean, uh, in general, it's, it's has a pretty strong leftward ethos. I mean, it would be yes. just, just culturally, I mean, yes. it's going to be really difficult for them to hold the line on this issue when almost all of their political and social bedfellows are, you know, will say, no, let's, you know, go with the students and break down this last door. Right. Well, here we are. Dennis and I have been able to express to our listening audience and our viewing audience our opinions on this issue for Wellesley. It's a difficult situation, one that they're going to have to be dealing with in the future. What does our audience think? Well, you know, Dennis, there's a simple way for the audience to let us know what they're thinking. Just write to us, send us an email at president at ashland.edu, and we'll try to get back to you. We, we actually want to dedicate a show to our listeners to say, here are some of the questions you've been asking. Here are some of the things that you affirm in what we've been saying and some of the things you've got some questions about. We want to hear back from you because we're just that kind of place. <laughs> we try to be, right? So here at Ashton, we're trying to teach students how to think and not what to think. And it is difficult in these yep. days. It is difficult in these days to take a perspective and say, hey, you know what? We're going to hold on to truth at Ashland uh, lightly and humbly, but we're going to, to chase it uh, like a sinking star. So we'll ask, that, uh, we'll ask that our audience does that and plugs in with us. We're going to wish them a happy St. Patrick's Day and also, <laughs> and also say to them to join us next time right here at AUTV20 with a bunch of young people who are very talented at Ashland University. We'll see you next time on the Watchers of the Skies program. Join us then. <laughs>